You're listening to Agency Highway. This is a podcast for agencies that want to grow their business and work less. Agency Highway is sponsored by Content Snare, a platform that helps digital agencies gather content from clients without digging through a storm of emails, huge attachments, and messy Google Docs. Sign up at contentsnare.com and use the chat widget to say you heard about Content Snare on Agency Highway, and you'll get a 30-day trial instead of the typical 14. Now, here's this week's episode. Hello and welcome back to Agency Highway. This is episode 142 with Kenny Schumacher from Closen.com. Kenny, thank you so much for joining the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I'm interested in this chat because you, you're you on this sort of journey where you've just sold a productized service and uh, it sounds like you've had some pretty cool experiences in being able to separate yourself from the business that you own. Uh, and I mean, that's kind of everybody's dream, right? So let's start with a little bit of an introduction about, I guess, your business that you've gone and sold and and how you got into this space. Yeah, definitely. So I've, I've sold two productized services. Um, when I started the first one, I wasn't really thinking about, you know, the, the term productized service. I didn't really know what that meant, but I started kind of a traditional agency approach uh, for my first business, which was social media marketing. Uh, but that was kind of overwhelming. I was spending so much time doing everything as many agency owners do themselves. Uh, I tried to delegate certain tasks, but that was very difficult because we provided a custom solution for all of our clients. So it was very difficult to make you know, like a, a standard procedure because everything was kind of customized. And I myself was kind of a salesperson or the, the head of the agency. I kind of had to you know, be very involved in that process. So it was fine. It was doing okay. I started this in college, but it was pretty overwhelming for me. I was always directly involved and I didn't really want to do this long-term. So um, through series of events, I decided to niche down into the one area that I was really good at, which I could also, uh, as it happened to be, productize. And that was on specifically Instagram marketing, uh, using our clients' accounts to interact with those in their target audience through a method of automation as well as manual uh, processes as well. And that's what I kind of focused on. Uh, Once I focused on that, I can make a pretty solid landing page, a pretty solid offer. And more importantly, I could actually delegate these tasks to others on my team. Uh, I didn't have to be involved with the sales calls anymore because I had it all productized. Everything was laid out for me. So that made things a lot simpler. Uh, Eventually, I got to four full-time people on the team, all outsourced. Uh, including a manager who handled the the employees on the team. And I was spending maybe about yeah two hours per month. Pretty much my responsibilities were just sending the payments to our employees. So uh, it was a pretty decent thing. It wasn't really... I was making a good amount of money, but nothing too insane. It was more like a lifestyle business at that point, um, allowing me to focus my attention on my other interests outside of business, as well as starting other businesses as well. Um, I sold that business, and then I started the most recent business that I uh, had sold in April of this year. But the most recent business was a graphic design productized service in which we matched our clients with their own dedicated designer, gave them a flat two hour per day uh, per subscription. Uh, that they can then, of course, scale up or scale down. Uh, yeah, grew that business to about 70 people on the team, all outsourced oh. again. Uh, that included, of course, you know, everyone was outsourced. So that included managers, 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 customer support, sales, marketing, development. Everything was all outsourced. Uh, of course, initially, I spent so much time on the business as you would with any new business. But uh, through making processes, through making procedures, um, I was able to 
get the business to a point in which everything was running pretty smoothly without my direct input. Mm. And I was spending my time on pretty much like the high level activities, maybe spending about an hour per day on the business. I eventually sold that business, but yeah, those are my two uh, businesses and how I kind of got started. I mean, it's a bit of a lesson there in, uh, you know, that niching down and, and having something that can be productized is obviously one of the easiest ways to be able to delegate like yeah bespoke stuff's always going to be really really hard that's why i kind of everyone everyone keeps telling me i should have start like a zapier and automation agency but there's literally like there's zero productization in that because the automations that you create are different for every single business so i'm just like yeah I, that's really hard to hire for it's really hard to create processes for there's no way i'm doing that uh but like in agency space there are definitely these little bits and pieces and i guess something that really stood out to me there is because because a lot of people don't really want to give up the whole agency thing where they do everything uh or you know bespoke work and something you said which I liked was that um, you built the first one into like a lifestyle business that allowed you to do other things. And I think that's key because, you know, that's essentially what we're trying to do with content snare as well is like have it as a point eventually, maybe, I, d- I don't know, like my, what I want out of life seems to change daily, but I, uh, you know, my original plan was to have it as something that managed itself eventually like it had enough income to have a team like someone that handles products someone that handles marketing blah 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 um and then eventually sort of step out and then we'd have time to make something else you know like that the idea and so so that's what i kind of wanted to highlight is that that can be a path for agency owners too where they create one thing that's productized while it allows them to do something that they're more passionate about or whatever. yeah the great thing with this business specifically was that it was a design. It was essentially a design agency, but productized, of course, to being a, a product. But the great thing about that was that I had many, many talented designers, uh, developers as well, because we provided development services to some clients. But that allowed me to focus their available time if they weren't working on client projects to then work on my own personal projects. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a great thing that I'm sure lots of agency owners can also uh, perhaps uh, take advantage of too, um, if they have available time for their designers, developers, people on their team to make sure they're always at least doing some work. Uh, so that was in our case, we had, yeah, as I mentioned, like 70 people on the team, maybe about 50 of those were designers. Um, and of course, not all of them were uh, always having full-time workload from clients. So they had much time to work on, you know, side projects I had, other business ideas I had. That's and that was only yeah. beneficial for me. Yeah. Hell yeah. So th- I think a lot of people can get the idea of creating processes for like internal stuff. So, you know, making a logo or whatever, or like cre- designing Instagram stuff, whatever it was you were doing with the first one. What? I would like to hear more about is how you delegated the marketing. Like what, how were you getting clients for the first one, the Instagram one, and then for the design stuff? Like how did you systemize that? Yeah, uh, I guess. So my experience with that has been primarily through paid ads. So primarily Google Facebook ads. Uh, I've so with my most recent business, Dell Design, I try like literally every possible marketing channel. A lot of them didn't work for me. So that was me doing all this work. Um, I was trying every single one. Of course, I'd have some like assistants that would help me with some of the work, but it was primarily me doing all these different things. Uh, eventually, I stumbled across ones that worked best 
for me or for my company. And those, yeah, those were Facebook and Google ads uh, for Delazine, the past business. I think it got to a point in which it was about $200 cost per conversion, per paid conversion. Uh, and our, our LTV was pretty high relatively. Um, it was about like 3,500 or so LTV. So it was a very good uh, cost per conversion for paid conversions because our clients would use us for many months. They'd add additional subscriptions, all of that. So uh, I'm saying all that because the context is that like once that was done, it was pretty much uh, plug and play almost. Uh, I had people that would essentially turn on and turn off the ads uh, when we had too many clients. But outside of that, there wasn't really too much like management required in terms of tweaking things. Uh, because initially, I spent lots of time trying every single thing. That's not to say that it couldn't have been optimized further. I'm sure it could have. Uh, but from my perspective, it was working really well. And I just kind of stuck with that. So that's mm -hmm. kind of been my experience for the marketing side of things. Uh, I guess yeah, my experience with productizing and with making systems is more so on like the growing of teams and like other areas of that, but not so much for the marketing at least. Yeah. I think um, that's interesting because I know like ads seem to be quite polarizing. Like some people hate them. Some people like them. Like I'm dent generally more in the hate camp because uh, okay. I mean, it's very hard to make work for a low value product, like a SaaS product, right? Like, um, you know, I see monday.com throwing ads everywhere and I just assume that none of them are even breaking even, you know, like I know about one person that's making ads break even for SaaS, you know, like at least at lower price points, I think at higher price points. And, but, but what I was thinking is that like, I, I can see it making a lot more sense for productized services, because if you, can jump on an ad, like if you see an ad and you can really quickly understand what you're getting for that. And that happens to be a service that you need. I think I, like I can imagine how that would work. Um, you know, especially with your LTV lifetime value being, being that high. I'm interested in uh, like your breakdown between Google and Facebook, like how, which was working better for you or the 50, 50, yeah. Uh, so for Google, we primarily did keyword targeting. So specific mm. keywords, uh, like exact keywords, and those are based, the most successful ones at least were based on competitors' keywords. So right. other service providers doing similar things. That was pretty much easy money for us because these people, of course, had intent to purchase a service like ours. They were at least somewhat familiar with the space already. So we didn't have to really explain things too much mm. to them. And then once they clicked on our landing page, we can you know, show them how we compared to the one that they were searching for. So it was relatively easy sale. And that was, yeah, pretty much sub 200, around 200 cost per pay conversion. And then on the Facebook side of things, we did uh, retargeting. So pretty much just, you know, leveraging the existing audience built from those keywords, um, as well as doing lookalike audiences based on our existing clients. But yep. uh, that only occurred pretty much after we already had a, a decent amount of clients. So uh, it, it like averaged out to being around like $200 per cost per conversion. And I would say, uh, I mean, majority of the source was initially from Google through those keyword targeting ads. Um, so it, it's hard to really say one's better than the other one. Yeah. But they all kind of worked together, I guess. Now, that's good to know because, I mean, that's kind of been my experience with Facebook too, is uh, the only stuff we can really get to work are lookalike audiences and remarketing. And that said, I don't know what it's like anymore because I'm hearing some pretty bad things about Facebook ads since the iOS update that is basically, I mean, from my understanding, remarketing would basically be dead, right? Because you can't how do you remarket someone if you can't pixel them? Isn't it, from my understanding, that's like, that's what they've changed, right? Is it, do you know? 
Yeah, that's my understanding too. I guess I was fortunate enough to sell the business kind of <laughs> like as that was happening. So I, I have not been following too closely with that, but my understanding is that's, yeah. That's yeah. But which is, uh, you know, and it sucks, but um, I understand why it's happening. And what, well, the, th- the thing I find the most funny about all of this is like, people are like, oh my God, Apple's so focused on privacy now. Like, I, I swear they're going to launch an <laughs> ad network in like a year or two. And like, yeah, like their right. they, they new yeah. billboard is like the, the phone with just the word privacy on it. I'm like, fuck off. Like you are it's getting so much data on everybody. Yeah. Uh, what are they planning? Oh God, it's it's hilarious that people think that Apple actually care. Um, <laughs> totally off topic, but yeah, I, I'm interested to see what happens there because I mean, um, uh, lookalike audiences are still potential because you can upload your customer list, right? And then it, and Facebook can cross reference those data points and then target other people. And I mean, we've traditionally used lookalike audiences with pixels, so that kind of sucks because what was really yeah. awesome for us which was just to a lookalike of anyone who logged into the software, which might still work because I highly doubt many people are logging in from um, phones. But all of this is kind of on borrowed time anyway, right? Like it's, an, I think Chrome have even announced they're going to block third-party trackers and stuff. So I don't know what, what happens here. Uh, but you know, that worked out really well for us. It's just anyone that logged into the software, do a lookalike of them. Um, that was one of our best performing ad campaigns. And I know this is not where we were going to go with this uh, this talk, but I, I think it's interesting for people because, you know, productizing, I think like a lot of people can gel with the idea of, you know, creating a process. It's like uh, of something they do, you know, it's like how, yeah, like we said before, um, but marketing is always one of those like mysterious things that, uh, you know, so it's good to know that like you were able to scale this pretty much just from from paid ads and especially Google because Google's easy to understand if it's just like mm-hmm. keywords. <laughs> yeah, very simple strategy for us. It, I mean, that was it's simple knowing it, but of course we tried pretty much everything initially, and that's kind of what we mm-hmm. landed upon after trying everything or while trying everything and cutting out everything else. I mean, we spent yeah many thousands, many tens of thousands of dollars on advertising. I remember I even tried a a product hunt paid listing, uh, thinking that it would be very good for us because, uh, when we launched, uh, our service, it was on product hunt. And that was, yeah, back in like 2019, I guess. Uh, and it did really well. It got number two product of the day, uh, that got us like lots of like, you know, hits, lots of conversions too. And that was really cool. So I kind of assumed, you know, therefore that if I was to pay them to have my, you know, listing, whatever, be on the homepage, being shown as an ad, like that would also convert well, but it happened to not be the case. So yeah, I wasted like, I think, well, I'll say wasted, but yeah, I wasted around like $5,000, I think on that. Wow. I'm sure, I'm sure for many, it works really well. That's, mm. I would imagine that's why they offer it, but yeah, for us, it did not work well at all. Yeah. That's a fairly expensive test. Cause that's where I was going to go here is like, that it's not a, this is often how it works, right. To, to try lots and lots of different channels and find the thing that works and then just go hard on that. Um, You know, we kind of simplified it just by saying Facebook and Google ads, but I think, you know, I don't know, a a book worth reading is um, Traction. Uh, A lot of people talk, it's actually made for software startups, I believe. Um, There's two different books though, Traction, and it's by Gabriel Weinberg. Yeah, that's, um, so it's how any startup can achieve explosive customer growth is the tagline. Um, and that's what that book is, is basically just a framework for 
laying out all the different possible channels you could get customers from and then running small tests or like working out which ones you could run a test in and then running a small test and seeing if it works or not and then just kind of picking the ones that, that work the best, right? Um, so that's, I don't know, that that's, sounds like that's kind of the process you might've gone through here. Pretty much, yeah. I didn't read the book, but it sounds yeah. like that was very similar. Yeah, but like you don't really need to read the book, right? To mm-hmm. brainstorm all the places you can get customers, but it is a good um, a way to jog your mind. So it's like, you know, it talks about PR and like what kind of PR things you can do or like, I don't know, trade shows and how to have a booth at a trade show. Like it's, it's just really think give to give you ideas really. Um, so I think it's still worth reading if someone does want to dig into like a marketing strategy. All right. So let's um, talk about the process of actually delegating. Like how did you go about this, especially because, you know, eventually it sounds like you had marketing delegated as well. Just like, so wh- where did you start? Yeah. <clears throat> so initially I didn't really know what I was doing, starting a business. I just initially did everything. So that included customer support, marketing, sales, management, leadership, everything you can think of, I was pretty much doing for the business. Um, but that wasn't sustainable. That was impossible. I couldn't grow that way because I was spending all my time. That's a fairly obvious conclusion, but uh, one that I came to myself. Uh, So I I had to, of course, delegate certain tasks if I wanted to spend time on additional tasks. So the problem was, what should I try delegating first? Uh, So my process, uh, it wasn't really explicitly stated to myself at the time, but um, I've understood it to be this now. But what I would do is I would, you know, make a framework of everything that I was doing spending time on all my responsibilities. Um, I I would also include how much time I was spending on these tasks. I would then kind of put them into columns based on like what I would say is the, I guess the value of those tasks to the organization. So, uh, you know, some things I was doing is probably worth like less than $5 per hour. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some things I was doing is maybe worth, you know, $50 per hour. And some things I was doing was maybe worth a thousand dollar plus per hour, like the really high level activities I was doing. So Initially, I was spending time on everything, including many like $5 per hour tasks and spending lots of time on that. So just an example, maybe like certain areas of customer support mm-hmm. or all of customer support could be fitted within that $5 per hour task. What's an $1,000 uh, so task? I would say like leadership, uh, like high level activity initiatives that could like build strategy for the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, one example of that is like, so our big issue with Delazign the company is that all of our revenue was being driven by, uh, of course, our designers on our team. They were the revenue driving employees. Uh, so I would put a lot of money into ads. I grow the revenue by getting more clients, but then I'd have to pause that because I would have so many, uh, only so many designers with only so much availability that I couldn't continue getting more mm-hmm. clients because that would be too much work for them. So that was a problem. How do we effectively scale our hiring processes? So that was my like thousand dollar task of finding out how to really scale that, how to attract a lot of designers, um, how to grow that through processes so that I didn't have to be involved in the hiring process so that managers, HR people can all be involved in that through processes, making sure our quality wasn't deteriorated by scaling that process either. So those are all kind of challenges that uh yeah, I would classify as the $1,000 per hour task because that really allowed us to like step it up to the next level. Um, but, you know, initially I wasn't doing that. I was doing those like $5 per hour tasks. So that's yeah. like what really required me to then focus my attention on delegating those, hiring people for those things, making processes for those things so that I wouldn't have to directly be involved in that anymore, having managers in place, all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, cool. Cool. So then so that you did you just work your way up, start at the five dollar tasks and, and sort of create yeah. processes for them? Like what what did that look like? Yeah, that's exactly it. So I mean, initially when we were small, we didn't have too much money really to focus on hiring too many people. So it was kind of a slow process for me because everything was bootstrapped. I didn't have any like outside funding for that. So it was kind of a slow process initially. Um, I would of course, you know, hire these people myself, spec them myself trained them myself, but it was definitely not the best use of my time to keep on repeating that over and over and over. So uh, kind of out of necessity, kind of out of not wanting to repeat myself, I would make very detailed uh, documentation that outlined exactly what they should be doing for training procedures, how exactly I find these people, how exactly I vet them, what my parameters are for good, bad, things like that. Um, allowing the new hire to understand what exactly uh, is their goal that they should be striving towards and whether or not I think they're there based on other parameters. So really making like very, very detailed processes with my goal being that they wouldn't have to reach out to me for any questions they'd have. Like all the answers would be in that documentation, in that training and all of that. And then, you know, once that was built out, having managers that can replace my role in that entire process and then building up, building up, building up, repeating that process over and over Mm. until eventually, you know, I was pretty much uh, separate from the business. Yeah. So when you're saying uh, the hiring process, it's for that was for designers originally. When you're saying like your hiring process for designers, is that what you meant? Uh, yeah, I guess I was referring to like the customer service. Oh, okay. Talking about that, but yeah, also for designers too. I mean, for everything, I would do that. Have very distinct processes. I guess specifically mm. for me with design, like I already had a manager initially when I started, who was kind of the one in charge of that. And he was fairly, uh, I mean, yeah, he is, he's very great at what he does, um, but he wasn't super into like the processes procedures. So I had to then kind of like encourage him, kind of push him to make those processes so that he wouldn't have to necessarily be doing the exact same process over and over again. Yeah. And you know, eventually he got that too. Uh, and eventually he became like the head of our entire design team which was leading, you know, he was leading other managers and then below them designers too. But it was all about making those processes in order to scale. Because if you're a small company, maybe it's not as relevant, but if you do want to grow uh, to, you know, many tens or even like hundreds of employees, you you can't always scale that effectively or easily unless you have some sort of documentation. And in our mm-hmm. case, it was very detailed documentation that really allowed us to scale easily. Yeah. And like, I think that's, this key here is because you were running a productized service where you had these distinct categories of employees, or I guess, like little groups that they were kind of doing the same thing and it would just scale with more people, right? So one that you can just get That's more right. designers or more customer support. They're still all doing the same thing. That is just unbelievably easier to scale for, right? Like, Definitely. Because, I mean, right now we're about to hire another content writer uh, for Content Snare. And- because I've done this process, I've only done it twice, but now I have the process dialed in, right? And I like I know what um, what we're looking for. I know how like how to shortlist people. I know uh, how to like do a test, like run a paid test, and and then choose the best like candidate from that, right? So I'm still in that this like level one uh, recruiting or like a uh, delegation where I'm still doing the hires. But because this now has been the same thing each time, I can definitely create a process for hiring content writers if that was my, it's not my business, but you know, that's almost like the level two (laughs) delegation thing where you can hire someone to hire people. And I, I feel like that is just the magic key to scaling a business. If you can have someone else hire the, like do those, like the hire 
people because <laughs> exactly. a lot of business owners are stuck like they spend so much time hiring people yeah it's it's stressful to hire not only because the the time it takes but you know because you have to then train them afterwards and there's a lot of vetting that goes on and you know these people may not even like pass your vetting processes so you may have wasted like two months hiring someone new and then passing on other people so like it, it takes a lot of like mental energy as well like thinking about all this doing all this kind of work so being able to delegate that to then allow you to have an extra you know whatever it is 10 20 hours per month per week even uh, that could be pretty huge mm. yeah and like you said hiring is super painful like it, the only reason i'm not sort of worried about this this content writer is because i've done it a couple of times now i didn't have to write the job post i didn't have to create the process like there's just a form on our site you know it's, it's really easy to to do it again if you had to hire a different person every time that would be super painful like the <laughs> process takes hours and so like that's just a massive um positive for a productized service, right? If you can scale out a team that yeah, are doing similar absolutely. work. Cool. So you kind of went into like level three uh, delegating where you were hiring people that would do hiring of hiring people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so like what were the, because so, after you trained your, what, what were the next levels? You know, I'm guessing by this point, it's like $500 an hour tasks that you're hiring for. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's yeah i guess you could say that i mean my goal has always been to like look for the next level mm. the next level and like never really stopping until i was eventually separate from the business yeah i guess uh, another reason why i decided to sell the business actually was because i was getting to the point at which i couldn't really think of like what the next level would be uh, i'm sure there would be other people that can take over the business who would already know that but with my experience so far like i was kind of like tapping out i guess what i really enjoy and I guess to have experience doing is building a very small company, founding a small company and growing it through uh, these like processes through automation delegation. So yeah, beyond a certain point, uh, I wasn't feeling useless, but I was feeling like maybe I wasn't providing too much value anymore for the business than what I had already done. Yeah. And I mean, that like this happens with public companies that they bring in a new CEO to take them to the next level because this person's only ever got this far before, you know, and they, they don't really have experience of taking it to the next level. Oh, and not even public companies, you know, you see it with um, just startups in general, like, you know, like the Ubers and stuff of the world where they might bring in someone else just because it's someone that has been in that like huge, big level scale before and they kind of know what the the next step is um and that's totally fine and, and in your case you've just stepped out and and sold it which is i think a great you know result so what did you do then like where like between you know starting to delegate and then actually you know preparing what what was the preparation for the exit did you have to be completely out of the business like what what was that process yeah, the process, uh, because I used a, a third-party uh, brokerage company to sell the business, uh, they pretty much handled majority of the work for me. Uh, you know, I pretty much just had to provide them with information of the business. Uh, they handled all the paperwork, making prospectus, finding the potential buyers. All that work was done for me. Uh, so that was pretty simple. But I mean, in terms of like how to optimize for a business exit, I think uh, there's various things you can do. Uh, one of those things is, yeah, separate yourself from the business as much as possible because uh, the people that generally want to buy a business, uh, they want to buy not a job. Like they don't want to spend, you know, 40 hours per week 
on the the business they purchased. They would rather have a business that was self-sustaining. You know, they could, of course, optimize further, but not one that they would have to spend all their time on. So, of course, the more you can separate yourself from the business, the higher the multiple will be. Um, So that's probably, you know, one of the things that I initially, when I made my first business, wasn't really thinking about. I wasn't really thinking about an exit. I was just thinking, how can I separate myself from the business so that I can focus on other things? But it just kind of happened that that was also the way that... Uh, you can get a higher multiple. So it kind of worked out for me, but yeah, I mean, like the biggest thing is, you know, building a business that can be sold if you want to sell a business and understanding that that's, that's not just a business in which you spend, you know, 10 hours per day on, like if you spend 10 hours per day on the business, uh, typically you probably can't sell that kind of business. Yeah. That's a job pretty much. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you, you're right. Like it's because we've, we've been through the process of selling a couple of different software products now and generally you know if you can get to the point where you know if you can show them that it's like a two hour a week kind of commitment then they're way more likely to <laughs> to want to buy that thing it's yeah like you you're right in that you know they don't want to buy a job so as and it also opens up then like because people in <clears throat> like investment firms might buy it like so that's what happened with our previous software business is um you know, they bought this thing knowing there was very little management and they just kind of had this one guy. This was their strategy. They bought lots of businesses like this and they just had one guy that was sort of bouncing between a lot of the ones that they bought, um, the ones that needed actual, you know, just a little bit of attention here and there. So they could have this one guy across several companies and that was basically their entire strategy. And I feel like they're the best kind of people to sell to because they've got money and, and you know, they know what they want. And <laughs> Is that, do you, what happened with uh, Delazine? Did someone take it over like that or was it more someone that wanted to grow it? It was a group of like investors together. I don't know Mm -hmm. if I'd call it a fund, but they had several other businesses as well that they would manage. Their idea was to acquire different, mostly passive businesses that they can then Mm -hmm. funnel more capital into to further grow. Uh, That was kind of their strategy and Delazine happened to uh, pretty much fit within that, you know, being relatively pretty passive, like I said, maybe about an hour per day. So um, yeah, I mean, like, they of course then wanted to scale it further. So like we didn't have necessarily like a director of sales. Like we had some people that were doing some sales work, primarily at our customer support team. They would also dabble in sales too. Uh, but like this new, uh, I guess, entity that purchased Delazine, they wanted to further ramp things up. So they brought in a sales like director person. They brought in other people as well. Uh, you know, similar to what you're mentioning with uh, with your sale, like they had people that would kind of like spend their time dabble in different businesses that they had not really full-time on any single one of them. So that was my experience. But of course you have, you know, private equity firms, you have like individuals that just have a lot of free time and a lot of capital that want to do their own thing and don't want to spend the time to actually build the business yeah. from scratch. So it's definitely a wide variety of uh, potential buyers. Yeah. But I guess my, the point I was trying to make there is like, if you, if it, there's a fair bit of time commitment, you're kind of limited to those like people who have lots of time. Whereas if you've managed to exit the business and it's only like a small time commitment, now you're going to be an attractive business to those like yeah, you know, exactly. funds or, or like investment groups, like you were saying, because and then you just have a higher chance of selling, right? So yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. Well, what are you working on now? <laughs> yeah, don't have a business. Well, you do have a business. I know you do, but <laughs> now that you don't have a productized service, what are you working on? Yeah, so working on a few things. I guess outside of like 
business business. I'm working pretty heavily on like real estate investment. So I'm pretty big on like passive income as you know, it's kind of obvious by now, I guess. So uh, I find like real estate, at least like single family rentals to be a pretty good avenue for that. So I have a few properties that I rent out. Um, also like a syndication with others in which it's a apartment complex in Sacramento. So I'm pretty big on like, I think that real estate is pretty awesome in general. So mm. I try to put more money into that. Um, but beyond that, I'm still actively pursuing business ideas, uh, business ventures. So uh, I guess I would say my my main focus right now is uh, a new software service called Closin, uh, C-L-O-S-I-N.com, uh, that helps startup founders uh, better organize their fundraising rounds. So, you know, startups that are getting their seed round or their series A, et cetera, uh, they work directly with their investors, directly with startup attorneys, board of directors, everyone in their organization. And a lot of that is pretty tedious work. Um, they spend time, like a lot of time spending just like copying and pasting different emails, changing some things in certain documents. It's not really the most effective use of their time. And there isn't really any software that optimizes for all of this all within one platform. Um, you know, these people may spend time on email, Slack, Asana, phone call, text, whatever. So they spend lots of time that can be better organized in one platform that manages all of it. So that's what I'm working on now. I have uh, two partners with me, actually. So my previous businesses, they were uh, just solo founded businesses. But in this one, uh, since it's a space that I don't really have too much direct experience with, uh, that being startup investing and fundraising. I have two partners that they're both startup lawyers, or one of them is a startup lawyer. He focuses on, uh, you know, series A uh, seed investment rounds for startups. The other one is more focused on like later stage companies that are series D, even IPO. So uh, their combined knowledge kind of like uh, covers the entire spectrum of fundraising for startups or even bigger companies. And Mm. Uh, our idea is to kind of allow for a platform to easily manage all of that together. So that's one that I'm focusing on. Um, another one I'm focusing on too is uh, kind of similar to my last one, Delazine. It's a productized service, uh, but instead of focusing on business owners, it's more specified on uh, home appraisers, uh, which is a little strange, but as like a little <laughs> bit of context, uh, home appraisers, they typically spend about one hour uh, going to the property, taking some notes, pictures, and they spend about two hours afterwards writing down the report in some software, pretty right. much data entry. And uh, it's very fairly simple work. So work that you can automate and outsource, but people typically don't do that because these kinds of people maybe aren't so uh, tech savvy typically. But yeah. Uh, one report can net you as an appraiser, maybe about $500 minimum, at least in my area. And then as much as like $2,000 per report in certain times in which there's not that many uh, people bidding on these reports. So if you were to outsource the two hour part of the report grading process, you're pretty much left with about one hour you're spending uh, on each report. So that becomes pretty much you know $500 per report minimum, or even as much as like 2000 per hour per report that you're doing. So it's pretty good margins. And actually, mm-hmm. uh, the partner that I'm working with on this one, he also used to be a lawyer, uh, but now he's uh, a home appraiser because he makes a lot more money doing that than he did with <laughs> his lawyer job. So things you wouldn't probably expect. Of course, you mm-hmm. have to be kind of smart about how you do it. Um, but, you know, so we're building a business to delegate that process of the, yeah, re- nice. the you know, automation report I mean, process. It's another great like example of a productized service, like, and especially if you can, you know, there's high value work that you, well, you've basically done the same thing. It's taking low value work of someone who's got a high value like per hour, essentially. Um, and then you can take a slice of that by doing the work for them. That's awesome. Kenny, thank uh, thank you so much for sharing your story. Where can people go to find out more about you? 
Yeah, it's my pleasure, James. Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, just Kenny Schumacher. Uh, happy to connect with anyone. Uh, you know, so I, I do actually, you know, enjoy working on business ideas, like solving problems. So I'm more than happy to help anyone if they have any problems or anything that I could do to help. I'm more than happy to do so. Happy to connect with people, of course, um, through LinkedIn. Uh, I am not super active on Twitter, but I am kind of trying to be. So you can search <laughs> me on Twitter too. Find me there. Uh, hopefully I'll be more active by the time this, uh, launches, <laughs> but we'll see. Those yeah. Awesome. Wins, I would say. Fair enough. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll link, we'll link your profiles up in the show notes, which will be at agencyhighway.com slash one, four, two, 142. That's it. Kenny. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, James. Guys, if you've, uh, enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you think will get something out of it or leave us a review. That's it. And I'll see you in the next episode of agency highway. Discover how to grow your agency, earn more, and work less at agencyhighway.com. Head over there to get resources from this episode and full transcripts. See you next time. This episode was brought to you by Content Snare. If you're a digital agency or just need to get content or info from your clients, Content Snare can help you collect it on time and without enormous email trails. Give it a try at contentsnare.com.